it is yet another rainy summer's evening and I'm back in my conservatory. So the background sound of the tinkling rain on the roof is something you'll be uh, no doubt used to by now because it's been going on all year. I also have a hideous sinus infection, so you'll excuse me if every now and again I'm sniffing. It's just the way things go. Dedication to the podcast, that's what we call it. Anyway, this week's entry is V. V for visualisation. It was the summer of 1996, and there I was, a 16-year-old post-GCSEite, walking up endless garden paths in the heat of summer, delivering leaflets about double glazing that no one wants. The setting? Eastcote, Pinner and North Harrow, just west of London where I grew up. I was paid by the hour and not by the street, which may seem discriminantified, but I was not complaining, and as such, I worked on the basis that if I walked or ran faster than everyone else, then I'd claim an extra fourth hour for every three I do. It seemed fair. It was the summer that I discovered BBC Radio 5 Live on the AM band of my Sony Walkman. As I hopped low hedges and dodged the dogs, the live coverage of Wimbledon was interrupted by updates from the Tour de France. Denmark's Bjarne Arise was already in yellow, and his protégé, Jan Ulrich, the German, was doing his best to restrain himself. I was already hopelessly in love with cycle racing, and the updates were the only thing I would stop for. On the quieter streets, I stopped, stock still, closed my eyes and pictured the scenes in all their visceral alpine detail. Visualisation in its earliest form for me. Except on this day, something new caught my attention when I eventually did open my eyes. It was something that children of all the 80s, all 80s children, would most likely remember well. A loose cassette tape glistening in the summer sun on the street floor. Of course, I hoped it might have been, now that's what I call music, nine. Yes, nine. Or the full top 40 radio recording with the play and record buttons hitting all the right places. But it wasn't, of course. At first it was so disappointing, and yet as I record this, I could reach across and touch that self-same cassette that I have with me now, 27 years later. And I have no idea where any of the other hundreds of tapes I've ever owned are. It was the audio recording of Dr. Dennis Waitley's Seeds of Greatness self-help book, read by the great man himself. Of course, at the time I'd never heard of him, and chances are most of you still never have now. But it was in my Walkman, as I marched on delivering the PVC gospel to people's unwanting letterboxes. Dr. Waitley's deep, soft West American tones had a profound effect on me in a way that I was not expecting. Waitley had worked with Vietnam prisoners of war and investigated how some had survived the ordeal where others had perished. He isolated one specific trait common to those who'd not just survived but had thrived in captivity. He coined the term positive mental pre-play to describe their uncommon ability to invent visceral positive outcomes for themselves and play them in their heads as a VHS tape that would, by its reputation, become self-fulfilling. This ability for the repeatedly imagined to become tangibly real was the key because Dennis Waitley first believed in his own words that we become what we repeatedly say and do. He'd also ascertained that those prisoners of war that didn't invest in their own pre-played VHS tape of positive outcomes discovered over time that their subconscious mind would simply invent negative replays of things that had gone wrong for them in the past or just prior to their capture and would play them instead. 
He found that most human brains are essentially locked in a battle between the subconscious mind and the conscious. And if you don't make conscious decisions about what you'd like your subconscious brain to be pre-playing, then once the tape is rolling, those subconscious VHS tapes are almost always bound to be negative or restraining. And so it was in the years after that, Waitley set about working with Olympians and world champions, helping them to create their own visceral and detailed pre-play tapes in which they envisaged themselves getting everything right and entering that state of sporting flow, whilst also being able to cope with and perhaps deal with the mishaps and problems, all of which are built into that pre-play tape and ready to be repeated again and again. Now, I won't find bother finding exact references for you, but a quick web search will reveal to you umpteen real-world cases of individuals who repeatedly told the same lie or half-truth for so long during their lives and over so many times that they utterly and genuinely believe it to be true, even though it isn't. And this simply comes down to repetition. That's the only thing. Coupled with that, it's their attention to detail in the quality that you invest in your positive mental pre-play. But repetition is the key. Fast forward almost exactly four years to the summer of the year 2000. I was riding in the British National Road Race Championships in Solihull, near Birmingham. The winner, this is something they used to do back then, the winner would gain automatic selection to the Olympic Road Race team for Great Britain for Sydney later that summer. Of course, I, along with at least 100 of the 150 or so strong field, am going to get in the lucky break. I will clip off late and I'm going to capitalise on some fortunate confusion and I'll win. And I pre-played it and I win. I'm going to Sydney. Now, at about half distance, the bunch was reduced but still intact and I was still there. Admittedly, by the way, this is reality now, this is not my pre-play. <laughs> I was still there. Admittedly, I was way too far back. And all of a sudden, I could hear the familiar sound of locked up brakes. Cue the worst crash I've ever had. From about 35 mile an hour to zero and straight into the back of a police motorbike of all things. Now I've touched on this particular crash already in this series and people that know me well <laughs> can't believe I'm rehashing it once again. However, it did at the time have its own column in Cycling Weekly too. So maybe go back through the archives. I'll spare you the detail, save for one thing. Having gone OTB, I landed with a leg either side of the metal pole on the back of the moto, the one that has the flashing light on it, and it snapped off, just as I headbutted the copper whilst simultaneously mounting him. <coughs> Excuse me. Yes. It didn't end well. Anyway, my reason for revisiting the, this moment, and the moment at which our nation was deprived of my presence in the Olympic road race, <coughs> yes, the reason I was going back there was to illustrate the mistakes I made afterwards. Now up to that point, my racing had been on a positive and upward trajectory as I saw it. I'd even stuck to using Dr. Dennis, Dennis Waitley's methods of creating and pre-playing the positive outcomes. And I was even sticking to a five times minimum visualization of them in order to fully believe. The aftermath of the crash for me and the following months were a real problem. I'd never imagined how badly the mental scarring would affect me and how debilitating it would be for me and this is common to lots of people who've been involved in crashes like this you might be listening it might be you 
Because the crash happened right in the middle of the bunch, as riders split either side of the parked moto and the car it was protecting, I was left with a very visceral and real negative mental replay of that solid metal object coming at me from the midst of a speeding bunch and me hitting it that hard again. And this came up in most races and big group rides too. Instead of going back to the Waitley model of repeating the positive imagined scene I invested and tried, instead, I tried newer, more widely written about methods at the time. And these often involved using metaphors and frequently animal-based analogies, such as the imagined state of being one fish in a shoal that has no conscious decision-making to do, nor fear, because it simply moves as part of the shoal. For some people, that might work. For me, it didn't. This unplugging element that the shoal of fish analogy brings up, it was appealing to me. The idea that the fear of sudden crashes could be ignored was very appealing, but it didn't work. It took me nearly two years of getting dropped on big descents or fast moving bunches on tight circuits for me to remember that what I'd learnt for the first time as a 16 year old as I walked the West London streets in 1996. Negative thoughts and destructive pre-play do not need to be ignored because the subconscious mind is far too strong to allow itself to be ignored. I remembered how Dennis Waitley had described the subconscious as being like a VHS tape itself. It needed to be recorded over with a positive mental pre-play video that was so detailed and realistic that once repeated as often as possible could become the new and expected reality. I've barely mentioned the word so far, but all of this is visualisation. Picturing in your mind's eye events as you would want them to be. But that alone is like planting one seed and expecting a full crop. Just like physical training, the key to success is actually in the repetition. Conscious, positive pre-play, more than five times in a row, leads to subconscious belief in the outcome. Because you haven't ignored the negative. You've simply left no room for it by cramming in all the lobes of your mind with the repeated, visualised outcome that you want in all of its multifaceted glory. Try it yourself. Start by visualising it as you really want it and then hit your head with the R word, repetition. And keep going because eventually that visualisation will become what you expect.